Hello and welcome to the Spirit Guide Society podcast. My name is Pedro Shanahan and I'm your spirit guide. Tonight in the Whiskey Society at Seven Grand, we had Travis Tidwell in the house, one of the greatest educators in the whiskey world. He's the West Coast brand ambassador for Glenmorangie. They walked us through this incredible line of stuff that primarily starts off in used bourbon casks. We tried the 10 year, uh, duty free only, the Codball. Oh, the really the whole night was, we talked a lot about yeast. It doesn't sound sexy, but believe me it is. Alta, what? Yeah, Alta. Listen to the podcast, you'll find out. Boom, then of course, Astar, my favorite from last year. What happened to that bottle? I don't know. Uh, and then of course, one of the best bargains in the single malt scotch whiskey world, the Glenmo 18, buy some for your home bar. Thank you, Travis, for coming out. Be sure to enjoy this podcast responsibly. That means don't tell Travis that I just stole his bottle of Astar. Cheers. So, Travis, tell a little bit about your journey in the whiskey business, how you became the brand ambassador for Glumaranji, and are, are yeah. you like the main national guy now, just the West Coast, just LA? Tell us the story. Um, so, yeah, uh, I've been doing this almost four years now with Glumaranji and Ardbeg, uh, but I started as a lowly culinary student. You're, you're so tall, you can never be low. I know, right? Um, I was very short when I was in culinary school. <laughs> uh, no, I'm just kidding. Uh, so, yeah, I started in culinary school when I was working, or when I was in culinary school, I was working behind a bar as a bar back. And um, I was taking some electives, electives, um, but really they were wine classes where I was just drinking wine for the entire class period, um, which I thought was pretty cool. And I learned a thing or two about wine. And um, of course, I was a broke college student, so. Um, I realized that I couldn't afford a nice bottle of wine every two to three days. I mean, every week. So, um, so I bought a bottle of single malt Scotch whiskey on a whim because I had two glasses. It was one of those gift packs. Um, and uh, the whiskey I won't mention because it wasn't Glenmorangie, but it had two nice glasses. And um, I started tasting a lot of the flavors in the actual whiskey that I was tasting in the wine class. And then from there, it was like, kind of just a light bulb moment. Um, I had a really great um, bar manager who would let me taste one bottle on the back bar every night after my shift. And I just started tasting a bunch of different uh, whiskeys. And really that's kind of how it all started. Um, so been doing this four years. I did a stint with um, a small company called Beam Suntory for about a year. Oh yeah, um, <laughs> really, really and, tiny. Yeah, yeah, it's just a small company. Um, and I was responsible for, for all their whiskeys at the time. So it was kind of cool to learn and taste a bunch of different styles of whiskey, which really helped me kind of focus on what I love, which is single malt scotch whiskey. And hence why I've been with uh, such a great brand like Glenmorangie for four years now almost. So I just cover the West. Um, so I'm the Western region, uh, Glenmorangie and Ardbeg ambassador, yeah. And specifically about Glenmorangie, why do you think that they're unique? Why do you think mm -hmm. we've filled this room over capacity? We had yeah. people who couldn't even get in tonight because the popularity of this whiskey. Why do you think it's so attractive and so accessible for so many folks? Um, that's a great question. I always like to hear the answer as well. Um, I personally think it's because we are such a wide range of flavors within our portfolio, but it also it's a very approachable style uh, of, of whiskey making. So um, tonight I specifically focused on a lot of bourbon cask matured Glenmorangies, which uh, I don't know if you caught the theme, but most of these whiskeys are gonna be aged in North American white oak. Um, there is one that's got a little tiny bit of sherry on the 18 year old, but mostly bourbon cask. So um, I think within that, we also have a range of different wine cask finished whiskeys. So from that, we have a, a wide spectrum of flavors like, you know, our sherry cask finish, our ruby port cask finish, our sautern cask finish. Um, so I think we have something for everybody. Um, and then Signet, if you've never had Glenmorangie Signet, which is like a rich, roasty, coffee, chocolate, espresso type whiskey. So. Um, we really have something for everyone. So I think that's kind of why Glenmorangie is quite a popular whiskey in that aspect. And that's because of the master blender. Yeah. And that's Dr. Bill Lumsden, who comes from a wine background, who kind of brought that world into the sure. whiskey thing. And that was, he was yeah. one of the pioneers of those kind of different kinds of wine cast finishes applied yep. to these wonderful yep. whiskeys from the Highlands. Yeah, so Dr. Bill Lumsden's <laughs> our uh, master distiller, if you if you want to call him that. He's... Um, I call him a machine built to make whiskey because um, he went and got his degree in brewing and distilling from Harriet and Watt. Only in Scotland can you go and get your degree for brewing and distilling, right? 
Um, and then his undergrad was in, um, or his PhD rather, was in biochemistry with an emphasis on yeast. So uh, his thesis was on yeast, which when you think of making whiskey and distilled spirits, yeast is a, a very crucial part of that. Um, but throughout that whole process, he really had a, a love for wine as well. So um, he really has taken a Westerner's approach to making whiskey as opposed to like a traditional Scottish method where they're very traditional. He's always been kind of groundbreaking and trying to do the new, creative, different thing. Um, and I'm really happy to highlight one of the whiskeys that we're gonna be trying today um, because this is the 10th anniversary of what we call the private edition. So every year he would create a new expression or a science experiment. Um, this was Project God is Good. Um, and if, if you were listening to me, hopefully you were, um, his PhD was in, in biochemistry, but on yeast specifically, that's what his thesis was. So this is what we believe, or at least to our knowledge, is the very first single malt Scotch whiskey ever made with a wild yeast strain. And we're gonna try that tonight. Yeah, that's um, amazing. So yeah. kind of bring it all together, him being with our company 25 years, he's been doing a lot of different experiments, but um, you know, it took him quite a few years to finally perfect something and he wanted to save that for his 10th anniversary of, of making an experiment. So that's what we're trying. Alta means wild, uh, so in Gaelic. Um, and that's what we're gonna be trying as the third whiskey. So that's really cool. So to give you a little background on that, um, here in America, in the whiskey making, in the bourbon world especially, they really covet the yeast. And they talk about like if the distillery was burning down that they would not worry about the barrels of flammable liquid. They would actually run over and grab the can of yeast because they like to really keep it consistent yep. and like have that flavor profile in the fermentation yep. always be the same. But when I went to Scotland, a lot of the distilleries, they, you ask them about yeast strains and they're kind of like, ah, oh, whatever. We just use whatever yeah. yeast is down at the distiller's yeast that, that they get yeah. from whatever, Smart and Final it's, or it's the like, equivalent or whatever. It's like a 25 pound, 25 pound bag of flour, but it's all yeast. And they just dump that into the, the, the wash packs. But do you guys have other proprietary strains of yeast? Because yeast can create lots of different flavors, esters, and those are fruity flavors that we recognize in the flavor profile of the whiskey after it's been created in the fermentation. Yeah. But like I said, in the scotch world, a lot of people don't care about making lots of weird different True. kinds of yeast. But does Dr. Bill use any proprietary yeast strains in any of these other expressions? So this is our first commercial release, uh, but I know he's got experiments that he's been running with of different yeast strains, but this is the one that, this is quite special. It's quite, it's our very first official release of a, of a specific yeast strain, but we have been playing around with the idea, and it took him 10 different species to figure out and make a consistent whiskey. Um, because with, with yeast, not all yeast produces alcohol. Not all yeast actually produces flavors that you want as well. So it's quite a tricky little microorganism that you have to very, you have to be very specific. And I think that's part of the reason why Scotland in specific has never really used many different yeasts because they're very traditional. So if it works, why change it? Mm -hmm. um, so that's kind of the mindset there. And that's also why you haven't seen a lot of innovation in the Scotch whiskey world until relatively recent. And if you notice in the craft distilling world here in America, what you really see people is experimenting around with a lot more, um, high quality beers. Yep. So they're actually using like bottle quality beer to make their whiskeys out of, which make for a lot different kinds of distillates as well. But that's just starting to catch on in, in, in other categories of whiskey in Ireland and Scotland and such. So, but this is your basic expression and this is just distiller's yeast. Do you know that if, if Dr. Bill found a yeast strain that he just kind of, when he started being the master distiller, that he used across the board or did he, was he just using the same kind of and commonly used Distillers, we, we use two different types. Okay. Um, and then a major, the majority yeast that we use is derivative of the champagne uh, varietal, if you will. So champagne yeasts are, are strong yeast. They, yeah. they, can, uh, they can last, they have longer life. And you want to use a, a longer living yeast because the longer their life is, the more variance of flavors that they create in the time of their lifespan. If you think about it, like a little baby does different activities than an old person does. And so that arc is the same even for a single cell organism. And so it creates different flavors in the beginning of its lifespan than it does at the end. And the longer that lifespan, the more variance of different flavors it's going to create in it. It also produces more of the fruity flavors. And we particular, Glenmorangie in specific, we favor more of the fruity style esters that are developed during fermentation 
um, because it really matches our house style. Um, we have the tallest stills in all of Scotland, so when we're physically distilling the whiskey and making it, we're distilling in large copper pot vessels, right? Um, but ours are indeed the tallest. They're 16 feet, nine inches, which in nature will help you produce that light, delicate, fruity spirit because of how much reflux and interaction with, with the copper you're getting and what we call reflux. So um, we particularly like having all those fruity flavors because it matches what we do as a distillery. Hence why we're showcasing most of the whiskeys that are aged in bourbon casks as opposed to a heavy red wine cask or a heavy uh, you know, sherry cask or something like that, which can hinder or cover up some of the flavors that we develop. Um, so a good rule of thumb is the taller the still, the more interaction, the more reflux, the lighter, the more delicate, the more perfume the whiskey. On the opposite end of that, if you have short squatty stills, you're gonna produce a fat, oily, robust, and spicy whiskey. Uh, a good example of that would be like Macallan. They have a very short squatty stills, and their new make spirit is quite big and oily and, and, and spicy, um, which aids their style being matured in sherry casks. So not to say one's better than the other, they're just different styles. And that's also part of the reason why I fell in love with this category. They all follow the same laws. They all age their whiskeys essentially in the same type of barrels. It has to be oak. Um, and then, you know, they all follow the same laws by the SWA, distilled to a certain proof, you know, single batch distillations, uh, things like that. So that's part of the love for me. They're all made the same, but they're all so different. And there's such a spectrum of flavors within that. And it all starts with what you have in your yes. glass in front of you right here. So walk us through this a little bit. How do you prefer to smell a whiskey? Because yeah. there's a lot of different ways to do it. How, what's, how do we do this? Yeah, um, so personally, I think a good way to do it is lightly nose the whiskey. So what I mean by that is don't stick your nose all the way in the glass like you were nosing a wine, um, which is what you would do when you're nosing wine. But wine is also 15% alcohol. This is 43%. So these are a lot more volatile uh, vapors and alcohol. So they're gonna burn your nose and nostril. And in the back of your nose, in your, your nasal cavity, there's something called the olfactory bulb, which connects your senses to your memory. And you can literally like fry that if you nose the whiskey too hard. So what you're trying to do is lightly smell some of the flavors, aromas, and if you keep your lips slightly parted or open when you're nosing the whiskey, you'll actually smell more of the flavors. Um, I remember as a child when I was forced to eat Brussels sprouts, say, and I didn't like them, so I would plug my nose while I ate them, and I wouldn't be able to taste them. So it's kind of the same thing, but on reverse. If you open your mouth a little bit, you'll actually smell more of the flavors in the whiskey. It's kind of a good trick if you've never been uh, reminded of that, or if, you, if it's your retro nasal, yeah, exactly. Action. So try it out, guys. Breathe in gently through your mouth and, and tell me what you're experiencing. I smell like butterscotch and lemon and, and custard. It smells yep. like a beautiful like dessert custard. There's definitely lots of uh, citrus in our whiskey and that's because of the stills, how tall they are. Um, and you also get a lot of stone fruit flavors. So peaches, nectarines, that custardy type flavor. Um, and then there's definitely gonna be that honey, butterscotch, caramel type flavor on the, on the nose and the palate because this is a whiskey matured exclusively in North American white oak or old bourbon casks. All right, what are you guys getting? Share some of your experience. There's no wrong answers here. Euler, Euler. Are you guys just like, you're so intoxicated by the smell, you're speechless. It smells like the beach. Oh, okay, okay. Well, then you wouldn't be at the Whiskey Society. You have to make choices in life. Mr. Mick, what do you think of this one? Cantaloupe, it sort of reminds me of like what do you get seasonal fruit at a place and it's all that like fruit medley and there's like only one strawberry and it's mostly melon. <laughs> That's beautiful. That's fair. Natalie, I know you love this whiskey. Why? Tell me. Um, well, it all starts off, like almost all of it starts off as the 10, which is an incredible, yeah, and it's an incredible base spirit on its own. Meat, a little bit of water, ice as an old fashioned, like this is my all around whiskey. This Less than $50 at Costco for a liter size. Wow. Wow. Um, Not that I advocate buying, buying all your booze at Costco. Jeez. Depending on how bad we're trying to make a number, you can even find the 175 for like $45 there. So. And you um, can also buy it at your mom and pop liquor store. If they yes. don't have it, ask them to order it. I'm sure they will. All right? I would encourage that, yeah. Yeah. Um, so, uh, 
when you taste it, you get a little bit of spice on there. You get a little bit of that like zestiness, uh, almost like grapefruit peel. Um, it's kind of a, a little bit of like a slight bitter, but it has that citrus backbone to it. Um, and that's because for our whiskeys, we're also only using our casks twice. So for me, this whiskey itself, even though it's a 10 year old, is quite a big whiskey um, in comparison when you think of like a 10 year old whiskey. It's quite rich on the palate. It's quite oily. It's quite, it's quite uh, present on, on, on the palate. Um, and that's because we're getting a maximum extraction from the oak because we are choosing to only use our brows twice. Uh, in this particular expression, we're using about a 50-50 mix of first fill to, to second fill barrels. So more oak from the first fill, of course, because the more times you use the barrel, the less oak you're gonna get. And then more of the citrus kind of fruity complexities and floral characteristics will be on the second use of the barrel. And where are you getting your barrels from? Which cooperage? Um, so half of our barrels we build ourselves, which will be the fourth whiskey. I'll talk more about that. Um, and we're building those from the Ozarks in Missouri. So that would be the uh, Brown Foreman Cooperage. Okay. Um, so the barrels come from the Ozarks and then shipped to Tennessee for us. And then the other half of the barrels are actually coming from your various producers in Kentucky. So Jim Beam, Maker's Mark, Wild Turkey. That uh, you're buying from a broker. Yeah. But you, you have your own facilities. So you guys are taking the staves and reassembling them in Scotland? They're shipped over whole, every, okay. every okay. single barrel. We don't, we don't believe in breaking down our, our casks. That's smart. And that's, because, <laughs> and that's also because we only use our barrels twice. Um, if I told you our wood management budget for the year for our barrels, it's more than some distilleries to operate their entire operation costs. Um, and that's just our barrel. That's our wood management policy. What do you guys think of this Glenmo 10? Brilliant. Yeah, yeah. yeah it's nice. It's very beautiful. It's a good whiskey. <laughs> Natalie gives it a standing O. Uh, this was also the whiskey that was in the punch. So... Um, oh, so that's punch abuse. Yeah. It's terrible. No. Couldn't we use... Some just, I don't know. No. Next time we use just new make in there. No. And it was a delicious pot. Yeah, but if we, use, if we use new make, then we can't make this whiskey. Because then the new make is no longer available to be put into cast. Okay. So, you have to make choices in life once yeah, again. Yeah, absolutely. Right on. Wow, really beautiful stuff. Now, what would you define? I know that there's a lot of generalizations that can be made, and I don't want to get too general with it. But what is the Highland style? And do you guys consider yourselves like a true Highland style or is yeah. it, are you kind of like a, an outlier? So we are considered a Highland single malt, right? We're located in a small little village called Tain. We're probably one of the northernmost distilleries on the mainland. Uh, we're probably the sixth northern out of 125 distilleries now with the exception of Orkney. Um, but yeah, we would classify ourselves as a Highland. Um, but with that being said, Speyside is also a sub-region of the Highlands, and 70% of your distilleries are located in Speyside. So um, it's kind of this interesting one. Um, you know, I personally believe now that the really only regions that keep to that specific style, if you will, are Isla and um, Campbelltown. I think those are the two, and the Lowlands, to be fair. But, you know, if you put our Glenmore G 10-year-old in a Lowland whiskey tasting, I bet you would say they're all Lowlands. But if you put our whiskey in a Highland whiskey tasting, they could all be, you could pick different distilleries from the Highlands that would all fit into this style as well. So I think that's kind of a generalization that really isn't so applicable anymore. Right, it's starting to, there's so yeah. much variance starting exactly. to happen, so much different barrel finishes going on at these different distilleries that it's kind of like, that's an old model that's somewhat outmoded. Yeah. Thank you, thank you, Stephanie. Thank you, but I will say the Island distilleries and Isla in specific, they still have that, you, that general traditional sense. You know, like when you drink Ardbeg, you know you're getting an Isla because it smells like a campfire. And, and that can be- Five feet away. Yeah, and that can be said for the same Isla whiskey distilleries. You know, when I crack open a, a bottle of Talisker, I know it's an island distillery because it still has that salty, peaty kind of resonance that I would associate with an island distillery. Yeah. Mm. So what is this second, Mark? This yeah. Stephanie and Mick just passed around. The second whiskey is called Cadball. Um, so at the distillery, we own um, something called the Glenmorangie House, which we operate as a hotel. I think a couple of you have stayed there, right? Yeah. We, did, we didn't stay there. Oh, oh you no. didn't? Oh. No, we were not oh. able to. I think it was booked up. We got to see it. We got to see oh. it. Oh. They got to see it. So, I, so that's, that's this, salt in a wound. This is such a sad story. Um, so next Paul time. and Natalie went there. They're going to go next on there. Way to turn that front upside down, yeah. Paul. So we we're all, going back. We operated as a hotel, but on that property, there was something, uh, there was a large chunk or big, big pieces of granite that started to come up out of the ground. 
that we started to notice. So we did a full-on excavation of it about 25 years ago, and that is now known as the Hilton of Cadbob. So uh, the original large 12-foot granite piece is in a modern museum of history in Edinburgh, but on the bottom of that is our Glenmorangie signet. So that's why we use that on our labels. But this is a whiskey that is um, kind of created in honor of that. It's part of what we call the Legend Legends series. Um, so it's a travel retail exclusive. So the only way you can actually buy this or taste this whiskey is if you're traveling internationally. Uh, I somehow managed to snug, sneak a few bottles in and uh, we're, taste, we're tasting it tonight. So, so are you saying um, that there was inscriptions on those stones that yes. they found there? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Okay. So uh, it's a 12 foot stone with a, a bunch of different engravings uh, of various different things. And who made those engravings? The aliens? Uh, so it dates back It dates back to the 8th century, um, and it's actually the Pictish tribe. I know you're trying to stump me. Ah, no, I yeah. was going for the Pics. I wanted to hear yeah, about the so, Pics. So it's the Pictish tribe. It wasn't tribe. the aliens, guys, I um, swear. But the funny thing is that 12-foot piece of stone was quarried from 2,000 miles away. And it was brought to the northern part of Scotland, and we don't know how it was got how it got they, there. They were friends with the aliens. Yes. Yeah, so um, uh, I think they they were they friends with a guy. The saucer. They were they were friends with a guy named Giorgio Sukalos. Okay. Uh, uh, if you know who that is, uh, anybody know who that is? No. Yeah. Never seen Ancient Aliens. The dude with the fucking crazy hair. That's Giorgio Suclos. I don't um, anyways, know. I don't want to. I'm sorry. I so, went down this road. So yeah, sorry. you did. Um, so. Um, we named this whiskey after the Hilton of Cadball. Uh, it starts out as the 10-year-old Glenmorangie, but it has been finished for, for a couple of years in sweet wine barrels from, from France. Um, but it's mainly made up from Semillon and Muscat grape. So it's a little bit different. Um, it's similar in style to our Nectar Dior, which so would be a Sauternes finish. Cask, yeah. But this is a little bit different because we wanted to experiment with different sweet wines, but not exclusive to France if that makes sense. So we're using a little bit of Muscat and we're using a little bit of Semillon and they have been, uh, those, those wines were sweet wines that were aged in barrel and then we finished our whiskey in it. So, so let's all nose this together, everyone. The Glenmorangie Cadbol. Cadbol, yeah. What are you guys getting as you smell this whiskey? Share your experiences, no wrong answers. Come on. Orgeat, all right. Cheesecake. Cheesecake, Maria. Salted caramel. Okay, okay, Peter. White grape. Simon, you got anything? Like that Welch's white grape juice? It's, the yeah, pressure's totally. not on you, bro. It's all right. Neely, do you have anything? What do you smell? Red grapes, okay. Paul? And all I can smell is cheese, cheesecake. <laughs> it's the infectious dessert. Cheesecake and grape. Yep. Beautiful. It definitely smells sweeter on the nose. Uh, I think we can all agree on that. Um, when you taste it, it does have an interesting bit of spice, which I quite like. And that's probably because of the partial French wine uh, casks that we use. French wine typically adds more of those tannins and more of the big spice. Um, but yeah, overall, quite a, a pleasant whiskey. Slightly sweet, nice and uh, nice balance of heat and a little bit of spice on the finish. But overall, uh, quite an interesting one. Mm -hmm. uh, something you don't get to try every day. So that's kind of fun. Are there what's, any specific proof? Uh, it's 43. Yeah. And is this currently available? Because I haven't nope. seen this. Where This is from your home collection. Oh, uh, yeah. Oh, geez, guys. See, look how uh, nice Travis is. He's bringing you whiskey from his own liquor collection at home. Yeah. Is this like? When you have when you have 2,000 bottles of whiskey, it's no big deal. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just kidding. I don't Killed have that me with many. the humble brag. Damn. I, I, don't, I don't have that many. Ow. I don't have that many. I've got like two bottles of whiskey, yeah. and my girlfriend tells me I drink too much. You know what I mean? It's like, wow. OK. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. You can only get it travel retail. So if you're flying international, um, then you, then you'd be able to pick it up in one of the duty free stores. Yeah. The Heathrow, uh, yeah, duty free at Heathrow's often has some really unique yep. uh, selections you can only buy there. Yep. Uh, same is true for Tokyo. They have and, some. And Amsterdam as well. Yeah, they they do these yep. pairings that you can only buy in certain liquor stores at certain airports. So anytime yep. that you're lucky enough to be traveling internationally, spend a little extra time in the duty-free store on your way out, because you might be able to bring us some presents. Yeah. <laughs> I like it because it's a good balance of sweetness and spiciness. Mm -hmm. And there's nothing like too cloying, too sweet, too over the top. Wow. It's just a nice balance. It's yeah. big, it's big, it's yeah. really big. Do you know how much that'll run me if I was able to get it in my uh, yeah. duty-free store? So um, 
Duty free, you're looking at about around $50 US, so not too bad. The only thing I would recommend, um, if you are traveling duty free, make sure that you buy your bottle in the last airport before any layover. So if you have a layover in the US before you're getting home, they'll take your bottles unless you recheck them. Lesson learned, yes. Um, so I always try to fly, if I have a layover in London, I try and fly direct from London to my final de destination because they will make you recheck the bottles into your bag wherever you land in the US because that's where you'll go, go through customs. Pain in the ass. So uh, I learned the hard way. So just some food for thought. Okay, okay, um, thank you for that. Yep. Some key travel advice. So what is this mark that uh, yep. Natalie and Stephanie are walking around with right now? So this is um, this is Ulta. This is uh, our 10th anniversary of our private edition range. So I mentioned, you know, these are some of our more sought after bottles of Glenmorangie. So we started uh, back in 2008 with a whiskey called Sinalta PX. That was followed by Finalta, followed then by a whiskey called Artane. Uh, yeah, I know, it's banging whiskey, so good. Um, after Artane, was Elanta, and then Elanta went to be uh, Campanta. Campanta then turned into uh, Tusail. Tusail then Bacalta, Bacalta, Spios, Spios to Alta. Um, wow. What's that? Milshan. Milshan. Uh, Milshan. So, sorry, there's too many of them. Uh, That's right. Someone at the distillery has got a really thick Gaelic thesaurus. Yeah. It's like, yeah. I need to get a copy of the Gaelic so, thesaurus. All these Gaelic words mean something relative to the whiskey. So like Campanta means friendship, uh, which was a, a marriage of two different wine casks from Chateau de Pop and then from, uh, from Burgundy. Uh, Clos de Tarte was the, the red, and then the sweet wine from Chateau de Pop was Resto. So it took two very different styles of wine to combine them to create a, a unique expression. Spios more recently was uh, the first single malt Scotch whiskey to ever be fully matured in ex-rye whiskey barrels. Uh, so Spios means spicy. Spice. Um, so this one means wild, and that's because we're using a wild yeast. Uh, the specific strain of yeast um, Dr. Bill got to name. Uh, so it's called Saccharomyces diamathe, which means God is good, which was the project name. And because he, he, he called it God is good because yeast is like the all-giving God of, of fermentation. That's you know, right. you, we, could, we wouldn't have wine, beer, or spirits if it wasn't for yeast. We wouldn't have bread. We wouldn't have a lot of things if it wasn't for yeast. So um, he, I mean, Dr. Bill is a really interesting guy. If you've never met him, uh, I know a couple of you have. He's a super interesting guy. But if you hear him talk about his passion of, of, of yeast, he could talk about it for hours, um, which is really interesting. And then our second in command, our head of maturing whiskey stocks, Brendan McCarran, who's being groomed up to take over for Dr. Bill when Dr. Bill retires, his love is in barley. Um, his favorite movie scene of all time is is uh, the movie 300 when you know he's walking through the fields of barley. Um, so two very quirky dudes, but um, they know what they love and they they definitely follow that passion. Yeah. So. Oh my goodness. I know some extra. That's a lot of good stuff. Yeah. So. Um, so do you know how long the fermentation is on this? How long they let this wild yeast do its thing? So typical fermentation at Glenmorangie is about 55 hours. Wow, that's a good long fermentation. That's quite quick. Oh, you think? Yeah, okay, yeah. Okay. On average, it's about 70 from my understanding. Okay, okay. Um, so Glenmorangie, we get a very active fermentation because of the water source. Being that hard water source, mm -hmm. it acts as a food source for the actual uh, yeast. It kickstarts the whole process. Wow. Because our, our water is saturated with limestone, calcium, and magnesium, or mineral salts. In the brewing industry, they do a technique called Bartonization, where they add in all those mineral salts to bring up and kickstart the fermentation. I didn't know that. Yeah. That's cool. So we have quite a quick fermentation at Glenmorangie. Because of the really hard water. Where we're fully converting all the, the fruity oils and esters and developing all those fruity notes in about 55 hours, which is quite uncommon. Normally, it takes about 70 hours to get those ferments and those fruity esters that you're looking for. And then some distilleries actually go really, really long, and they go about 100 hours, and they want to bypass all the fruitiness where the yeast dies off and then re kind of has a secondary fermentation, and it produces more of the floral soapy characteristics. So a little bit different. Um, we don't want that. But so wild yeast um, called Alta, a little bit different on the barrels. This is the first time 
really in most of our production, we always used first and second fill. This is a whiskey that's actually aged in second and refill or third fill barrel, which is very uncommon for us. And the reason we did that is because Dr. Bill wanted to highlight the actual yeast flavors that are coming through as opposed to the oak influence or the wood flavors. So, so really let the beer shine. Yes, exactly. So stick your nose in the glass, breathe in gently through your mouth. What are you guys getting as you smell this, the Glomerangi Alta? One disclaimer, this is bottled at 51.2%. Okay, so maybe so, you give yourself a little bit of space there, back it off. And, and, and that's, even one, that's even another kind of special thing about this whiskey. All the nine previous private editions were all bottled at 46%. This is the first one to be bottled at 51.2. So over 100 proof, yep. which is another rarity in the scotch-making world because folks a lot of times in Scotland do not like that upper-proof whiskey. They tend to really soften their whiskey a lot with a lot of water. You go into the bars in Scotland, yep. probably if we were in Tain and we walked into a little pub, There's the, a, the locals are sitting there with like a, a whole pitcher of water to pour on top of their whiskey. Yep. Is that your experience as well? Yep, absolutely. So yeah, quite a different one. Um, I personally smell a lot of like baked croissants, quite a different array of flavors. Um, and the reason why I chose the next whiskey after this is because it's almost a direct comparison, but instead it's highlighting the oak, which would be okay. Astar. Um, so try and remember the flavors that you're tasting here, because these are, I personally get a lot of bready, like baked croissants and things like that, but it's also got that undeniable Glenmorangie fruitiness in there. It's floral, too. It's very floral. Very floral. Yeah. Stephanie, what are you getting on this one? I'm getting grapeseed skins, Himalayan salt, and marshmallow. Wow. What are you guys getting back here on this one? Very unique. Definitely get the cinnamon on the palate. Oh, really? Okay. A little agave kind of vibe. Anybody else? I got Rose Turkish Delight. Rose Turkish Delight. I, believe it or not, that's actually a really common flavor in our, one of our other whiskeys called Glenmorangie Quinta Ruban. So uh, that's our port cask finish. So we actually buy Turkish delights when we're in the airport because we pair them with, with the whiskey sometimes. So that's a very good call out. That's a, that's a characteristic that's found in Glenmorangie quite common. Um, yeah, so what do you guys think? The texture on this is incredible. It's, it's big. oily, yeah. it's flavoring, it's long-lasting. The architecture of this is gorgeous. And what is going to be the bottle price if I was gonna grab a bottle of this from my home bar? Um, it'd be about 100, 115. 100 to 115, and is this currently going to be like a standard mark? What's, is it a limited edition? One How, and done. One and done. How many bottles are going to be released? Um, I don't know exactly. If you think about it, it's an experiment. So all of our experiments, if it doesn't work, if it doesn't work, then um, we lost all that time, effort, you know, and resources to put into something that didn't work. So that's why all of our private editions or experiments are, um, the typical experiments tricky, are, tricky. the typical experiments are under 50 casks. Wow. So, I mean, and I know that sounds like a lot, but for Glenmorangie, it's, it's very small. Um, and that's on a global scale. Speaking of which, what is your output right now? How much is Glenmore putting out per year? We can produce 6 million liters of pure alcohol a year at Glenmore. Wow. And which sounds like a lot, but it's really not. Yeah, yeah. So you use wild barley to cultivate, to, to get these microbes to propagate, or I mean? So it was, a, it was a field of barley where the yeast was naturally on it. Right. Um, so he took samples of that yeast, and we took about 15 different samples, and he ran a bunch of experiments, and then the one we finally settled on is the one that we're tasting. But he did that 10 years ago, give or take. Um, so we grow that barley on the estate for one of our whiskeys called Signet which is Cadball Barley. And so, so that barley, we don't physically grow it ourselves, but we work with a local farmer to grow it for us. Um, but as far as like controlled, it's just a field of barley. So whatever is out there in the field is is. So kinda. you can take that, you can capture that yeast off of those plants and then right. propagate it yourself and then yeah. add it into whatever mash bill that you have right. and it'll create different flavors. Sometimes mimicking the flavor of whatever it's extracted from. I, I don't know all the science of yeast, but I, I don't either. I've heard that. Well, in the mezcal world, they talk thing, about yeah. that a lot. It's a it's a very geeky thing, and and yeah, in the mezcal world, it's a whole nother animal because um, they're doing it in such varying batches with different 
a lot less control, I would say, mm -hmm. where we know our stills, we know our, our, our operation quite well, where in mezcal production, it's very different. It's very, mm -hmm. you know. Tiny, tiny palinques, yeah. and often they're crediting the flavors that are created, because they're often just using wild fermentation. Yep. Um, and they're saying that some of the flavors are getting are coming from the local yeast, from the very fruit trees that happen to be around the palinque where it's made. So that's why I had the question about whether yeast has the ability to kind of mimic things, yeah. whether you would get a mango flavor from a yeast that came from a mango tree, for instance. Well, and maybe that maybe that explains why this has quite a lot of uh, like bread-like cereal characteristics, because it is found on, on barley. On barley. Yeah. So Stephanie's coming around with the fourth expression yep. here. What is Ast this one? Astar. Oh, the Astar. So, so this is Astar 2017. Um, so again, a disclaimer, uh, this whiskey's 52.5. So um, please be responsible tonight. That's right. Um, For those of you who didn't get any punch, that's this is why I don't feel so bad. Yeah. It's like, at least we get this um, 100 proof whiskey, right? It's okay. So this is a whiskey that's really different. This is a whiskey that's very different from Alta in the fact that Alta was highlighting the actual barley characteristics as well as the wild yeast. This is more or less highlighting the actual oak influence. So this is a whiskey that's solely matured in what we call our designer casks or the barrels that we source from the Ozark Mountains in Missouri, where we will go, go and select slow growth white oak trees that are north facing, that are about 100 to 150 years old. We then cut them down, air season the wood for 36 months. We'll then build it into a cask. Wow. Um, we'll then lease it to a famous distillery in Tennessee. Um, <laughs> Yeah, there's only two. Yeah, perhaps um, owned by Brown Foreman. Uh, perhaps owned by Brown Foreman. Uh, they will season our casks for us for four years. After the four-year mark, four years in a day. After the four years, they'll dump it and then send the barrels back to us whole. Where we'll fill, we will fill Glenmorangie whiskey into it for a minimum of 10 years. And that makes up half of our production. However, the whiskey in your glass um, is 100% of that whiskey. Uh, I hate to dump this. Oh, I know. Uh, yeah, yeah. I know. You're a master blender. Oh, it's okay. It's a good thing that the rest of that bottle is going home with me. So I'll, I'll feel okay. So, um, thank you. Thank you, Stephanie. So, Astar means journey. And what this is, is um, this is really an expression of the wood, an expression of the tree. So, one of Dr. Bill's other hobbies is um, wood. Who would have thought? Um, so, he goes and specifically selects trees that have what we call 16 growth rings per inch. And that shows the classification of how old the tree is, how quickly it's maturing. And it's a different type of wood. It's still North American white oak or Quercus alba, but the wood itself is more spongy and it has more of the tannins, more of the, or less of the tannins, more of the vanilla, caramel, and what we call lignin. So the lignin translates into vanilla. And so when you char the cellulose of the wood, it produces a flavor of vanilla. So this whiskey, this whiskey is going to have a lot of caramel, vanilla, kind of big butterscotch characteristics, but it's quite a big whiskey as well because it is bottled at 52.5. Um, quite a different whiskey, but this is highlighting more of the oak influence as opposed to the actual yeast characteristics. So that's why I chose to do these side by side or back to back, so you can really see the difference of the two. I'm getting a certain nuttiness to this, like maybe almond butter. What, Heath bars? There's this beautiful toffee and chocolate. What are you guys getting back there, Simon? What are you getting? Clove and pumpkin spice. Yeah, really spicy. What are you guys getting? Peanut brittle? Okay. Smoked ham. This is the one whiskey I say I get a little bit of like bourbon-esque characteristics. Um, and that's the oak coming through. That's the dominant oak flavors. This is a first fill matured as well. Oh, wow. So 100% first fill. So it really is highlighting the North American white oak. Um, Almost like a hybrid whiskey then to me. I'm getting like such big chocolate notes yeah. on the finish. It's, it's, it's like a bourbon and a scotch. Paul, what are you getting on this one? I get a, a charred ham and uh, smoked almonds. Charred ham and smoked almonds. Those are great. Those are great. Wow. And is this one still available then? Really hard to find. You can find it in your like specialty bottle shops, maybe. Um, I will say, we came out with this whiskey in 2017. And Whiskey Advocate named the top 20 whiskeys of 2017. And this got number two. So that helped us um, kind of move it off the shelves pretty quickly. 
Um, so again, you're bringing this from your home stash? Is that what's going on? Yeah. Oh my God. Um, Travis again, must really love you guys because like, um, we are not worthy, we are not worthy. I, I, I love you guys, I love the Seven Grand crew. Um, you know, it's family to me, so. Wow. And um, so Dr. Bill and his team will taste all the whiskeys at every single proof to determine, Dr. Bill will taste every single whiskey to determine what the best tasting strength of the whiskey will be. And that's how we really determine what, what to bottle a whiskey at. So that's why this one's bottled at 52.5. And that's why the Alta was bottled at 51.2, things like that. When you're, when you're bringing a whiskey down to proof, I recently had the um, experience of, of, of helping out to bring a whiskey down to proof. I, I made a whiskey years ago up at House Spirits, cool. the folks who make Westward, and now yeah. it's come to maturity. And so we, we did a session bringing it down to proof. But it's interesting, I learned a lot from that process. As you're adding water to whiskey to bring it down to whatever bottling proof you think you want to have, it changes a lot. It's not linear. It's not where you think like, oh, the distillate tastes like this. It tastes like, yeah, this is really nerdy stuff. You're going to want to listen up, guys. Uh, I'm just kidding. Um, but as I know. But as you're dropping it down to proof, it doesn't stay the same. Say that if you're starting off with like lemon custard yep. and you drop in three drops of water, it doesn't stay lemon custard just a little bit weaker. It actually changes yeah, to like peanuts completely. and apples. Yeah. It like swerves around in the flavor profile, which is why the different whiskeys have different proof points because it can go from bad to good yes. as you add water. Correct. Have you had that experience? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I typically find it really present in a peated whiskey. So um, some peated whiskeys don't, don't have that overly smoky taste to it. But when you add one drop, excuse me, one drop of water, it really brings out the smokiness in a whiskey. I especially find that with Ardbeg 10-year-old. Uh, when you add water to Ardbeg 10, it really becomes smoky, where before it has a lot of sweet, salted butter, lemon zest type flavors. Um, but yes, definitely with Glenmorangie, even more so, we have to be careful because it is such a delicate whiskey that the more water we add to it, you can lose a lot of those delicate flavors. And that's why if you follow Brendan McCarran, Dr. Bill doesn't have Instagram, but Brendan McCarran does, and he'll do like, he'll post stories on his thing of like 15 different glasses, and he's literally tasting the same whiskey at different strengths and different proofs to see which and how, and to find any flaws if there are any. Interesting. Yeah, and he'll do that with new make as well. Right, right. That's so, something I tried to get too. But as a disclaimer, like, he does post some pictures of his kid as well, but his kid's cute. <laughs> so, and. We love kids. But, but you will get jealous of his travels as well because he gets upgraded a lot because he travels international. So he'll post himself in first class United Emirates. Oh, with like, yeah, it's, it's ridiculous. Wow. Um, I'm, I want to know a little bit about Tane. I always like to try to get a sense of what it's like when you go to Scotland and you do a distillery tour. Yep. And then afterward, you're like walking around in this little town. How big is Tane? And, <laughs> and what's it like? Uh, it's pretty much non-existent. Uh, there's 300 people that live there. So, so there's a post office and a pub. Yeah, it's a really small community. Um, you know, ironically, the guy who recreated the Cadball Stone for us, uh, his name is Barry Grove. He lives in Tain, so you could probably find him at the pub. But a really great guy. Overall, it's a really small highland, very rolling green hills. And so not a whole lot going on in Tain. The most exciting thing about Tain is, is the Cadball Stone which is right on the coast in what is now called the Chapel by the Sea, which is quite a historic site. But um, overall, the Glenmorangie Distillery is pretty far north. Um, if you go a little bit further north, you'll run into the Dornick Castle. And there's a real small craft distillery, if you will, um, called Dornick Distillery. Uh, and then there's the golf course up there, of course. Um, but overall, it's, uh, that's probably the most exciting part of Tain, which is not actually Tain. Um, but the Glenmorangie Distillery is located on the coast of what we call the Dornick Firth. So you can actually go out on the Dornick Firth and you can see some of the wildlife, dolphins. Uh, they have dolphins that weigh like 2,000 pounds, which is pretty crazy. Wow. Dolphins that are in the Dornick Firth, which is really, really cold climate. Uh, it's really, really cold water. So when I was up there, we saw some dolphins. Uh, we're doing a new project where we're trying to rejuvenate and we're laying uh, fresh oysters to, to bring back the local Dornick oyster of the Dornick Firth, 
because you know sadly uh, a couple couple years ago um, we didn't really know enough about the ecology of of the Dornick. Um, so we're now trying to repopulate and um, create and re reclean uh, the Dornick Firth to bring back a lot of those wildlife and things like that. So, so um, travel to Tain, drink some whiskey and eat some oysters. Yeah, That's yeah, what I'm yeah, seeing yeah. there. That sounds good. Yeah, wonderful. absolutely. Uh, stay at the Glen Morangy house if you can. And because, because uh, like Natalie mentioned, all these crazy weird limited editions are still in the Glen Morangy house and you can drink them. Uh, and they do offer a full course paired meal with, with whiskey. So a pretty, pretty nice little place. Um, if you are going, just come talk to me afterwards and we'll... Where do you fly into? You fly into Aberdeen and go up? And so you can fly into Glasgow and then drive five and a half hours north. Um, but you can stop in Speyside on the way there. It's kind of... Stay in Dovetown. It's a two hour out of the way. Um, but you can also you can also fly into Inverness. And then from Inverness, we're about 45 minutes. Beautiful. So Inverness would be the closest airport for sure. Uh, our, we're also really close to Ball Blair, uh, Dalmore, Dalwini, Old Pulteney's a little bit further north. Okay. Uh, Wolfburn, which is the newest one, is up there too. So there are some pretty cool distilleries up there. Um, definitely worth checking out. So. so what is this last expression that Natalie and Stephanie just passed through? Um, so this is just a really nice, easy drinking, Super elegant. Uh, um, uh, Glen Morangy, 18-year-old. Wow. So um, the Chanel number no. five, if you will. Uh, it's very elegant. It's very timeless. It's classic. It's uh, all those stone fruits that have developed a little bit more into uh, kind of like baked fruits or stewed fruits. Um, with a touch of Oloroso sherry, uh, bottled at 43%. I would just say that this is just a really great example of Glenmorangie, and it's also quite a nice value as well. Um, so if you're looking to gift something for the holidays or gift something for yourself, uh, it's a nice one for that because it is quite a reasonable price point for anything. And it's out there, it's available? It's readily available, yeah. Beautiful. We don't have any inventory issues um, like some of our friends uh, with 18-year-old whiskeys, so we've got plenty. Hey, I said, I said friends. I said friends. I didn't even name a distillery. I said friends. It's very savvy, savvy group. Just because you know who I'm talking about doesn't mean it's my fault. Uh, so much controversy here in the whiskey. No, no. Society. See, that's that's the funny part. You knew exactly who I was talking about. <laughs> It's not my, I didn't do it. I'm drinking this stuff. I'm not drinking the other stuff. Um, but yeah, I think it's just a really nice example of, um, you know, single malt scotch whiskey. It brings a lot of the elegance of what uh, a little bit older whiskey can be. Um, and it's 18 years. Yep. So the Glenmorangie 18 year, what are you guys getting as you smell this remarkable and rare whiskey? What are you guys getting? Share your experience. Say again. Ambrosia, that would work. Ambrosia is honey butter, right? What else? What else? It's got a lot of honey in it. Cashew. Cashew. Yeah. Yellow peaches and almond skins. Excellent. Apricots, okay, great. What else? Anybody else have some flavor notes on this 18 year old Glenmo? Yeah, it's very, Flowers, it's very floral. Really floral. Yeah. One of, one of the tasting notes is um, night-blooming jasmine. Mm. As crazy as that sounds, um, but that's one of Dr. Bill's official tasting notes. Um, so you so are definitely musky, right. Musky, musky, beautiful floral. Very floral, yeah. And, and what are all the different barrels on the 18? So 70% so of the whiskey is fully matured for 18 years in bourbon casks, and then the other 30% of the whiskey is 15 years in bourbon with a three-year finish in Oloroso. So it's oh, very wow. subtle. Wow. And it's Gorgeous. just a slight bit of Oloroso to add that extra layer. We don't like to over-sherry our whiskeys because it's not our style. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, and that's why we tend to lean more towards the bourbon cask side of things. Mm -hmm. Does anyone else have any questions for Travis? Yeah. Uh, any other questions? Yeah, Mick. Go ahead, Mick. Some of those private editions are so good. Like, how close do you ever come to even considering 
including in its year core range. And I mean, so most of those private editions were with really specific casks or very specific uh, examples, like Artane. Artane, one of everybody's favorites, or my favorite, was aged, it was two, two barrel types. Uh, it was 15-year-old Glenmorangie that was aged in Sasakaya, which is a super Tuscan wine. Uh, and then the other, the other barrel was a 19-year-old Glenmorangie in Sasakaya. So Sasakaya wine barrels are very, very pricey and very, very hard to get. So chances of us doing that again, very slim. Elanta, which is another one of the favorites, was a 19-year-old Glenmorangie in virgin oak. So again, quite rare, kind of, again, hard to find. And that was a, I mean, we were playing with the devil's edge right there because if you think about using a, a virgin oak barrel in scotch whiskey, it's like almost unheard of. And then leaving the whiskey in there for 19 years is even more unheard of. So Dr. Bill tasted that whiskey at 15 years and he literally said, shit, it went too long. Uh, so he left it and let it sit. And to his surprise, it came back. It came back. Yeah, and it worked out well. So, and you, you know, yeah, best whiskey in the world. What was that, 2013, I think? Um, 14? And so it just, it's so hard to say. It's so hard to tell because most of these are experiments. We don't know if they're going to be good or not. You know, a lot of people, a lot of people didn't really like Two Sail. Um, and Two Sail was made with a winter grown barley called Maris Otter. Um, a lot of people felt, felt it was boring. I personally really like that whiskey, but to the wide masses, most people didn't like it. And it's still on the shelf in a lot of liquor stores. Um, but I love that whiskey, but it's just a personal preference. And so, but you know, everybody wants Sonalta PX all day, every day. And, but that's because it's a big, raisiny, syrupy, sherried whiskey. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, La Santa to a certain degree, and that's why we reformulated it and added, added PX, yeah. Nick, what was your question? Yeah, you had, uh, for the 18, you had mentioned that it was quite affordable. What would be the... So it's about 100, 110. Wow. That's for an 18-year-old. for a beautiful 18-year-old whiskey. Yeah. Wow. Uh, it's half the price of our other friend. <gasps> Or maybe, or maybe a third of the price of our other friend. Uh, arguably very different whiskeys though, and, but uh, I personally love this whiskey. I think it's a really nice whiskey, so. Cheers to you, Travis. You guys, let's give it up for Mr. Travis Tidwell. Cheers. Thank you, Travis. Thank you for listening to the podcast. If you like what you heard, please head over to Apple Podcasts and give us a five-star rating and review. The Spirit Guide Society is a Spirit Adventures production in association with Bitten from the Apple Productions. Special thanks to Tone Mesa for their post-production and audio services. The show was produced by Andrew Apple and me, Pedro Shanahan. Executive producer, Andrew Abrahamson. Be sure to like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Spirit Guide SOC. We'll be there to answer any questions you have, share what we're drinking, and more. And if you're still thirsty, you can always find more episodes of the show wherever you get your podcasts. Be sure to always drink responsibly. That means don't drink to forget, drink to remember. <laughs>